This is the Foodpreneur with Chelsea Ford podcast. Welcome, Foodpreneurs, to episode number 76. Distribution. Da-da-da. Drum roll, please. Distribution is one of the biggest challenges you face as you scale, hence the drum roll. And to be frank, many distributors and brand owners' values just don't align. Distributors make their money shifting boxes, and they often don't care about your story. That's until you meet Sally Gosper of Two Providors, a wholesale food distributor that connects Australia's best artisans and producers with like-minded chefs and retailers by sharing their stories and produce. I talked to Sally about what a distributor wants from producers and what a producer needs to do to prepare to be stocked and make the listing work. My suggestion to you is there is no point in getting a yes to be stocked, but then not be able to get your product further out into the market. That's what I want you to think about. I'm recording this introduction whilst I'm in Japan, and I'm loving being in such a fast-paced and luxury market. Consumers are discerning here, and there is so much competition. The key for Japanese producers, just as it is for you, is to practice outside in thinking rather than inside out. What I mean by that is, what is your plan to get your product bought by stockists and consumers? What's your trade and consumer marketing plan? How will you get your product further out into the world? Listen up, because I'll tell you. This episode of Foodpreneur with Chelsea Ford is brought to you by my pitch plan. If you are preparing or need to prepare what to say to a wholesale buyer or distributor, download it today. I give you elements that make an extraordinary pitch so you feel more confident on what to say that will give you a competitive edge and help you tell your story. This episode is also brought to you by Foodpreneur's Formula, my business coaching program for female packaged food and drink brand owners ready to scale. The final and third cohort for 2023 starts soon, and we're changing things up in 2024, so get in now. If you want to land more accounts, get your product in more consumers' hands and put more money in your pocket, join the wait list and you'll be the first to find out when doors open again for enrolment. The links are in the show notes for both the pitch plan and the wait list. Hi, I'm Chelsea Ford former industry sales director, award-winning food and drink business expert, head coach of the acclaimed coaching program for women, Foodpreneur's Formula, and your host for this, the Foodpreneur podcast. If you're a packaged food and drink brand owner, tune in with me each week and walk away knowing how to land more accounts, how to get your product into more consumers' hands, and how to price correctly for wholesale, with or without distributors. In each episode, I'm going to tap into my three decades of experience leading sales, marketing, and money teams for big and small food and drink brands to give you coaching tips that will help you take your business to new heights without the overwhelm. I know what works and I know what doesn't. So I'm going to share with you industry tools and insider knowledge that are next to impossible for small businesses to access. 
And I'll dive into my little black book to bring you interviews with hard-to-reach industry specialists, experienced foodpreneurs and wholesale buyers who will help you solve those pesky industry-specific problems like distribution that I know you've been losing way too much sleep over. So roll up your sleeves, foodpreneurs, because you're about to enter a no-fluff zone. I'm bringing my A-game so you can reach yours no matter where you are, whether it's in your kitchen, coordinating your deliveries, or on your way to a buyer meeting, listen up, because we're about to set the path for you to secure your next best stockist, increase your sales, and live life on your terms. This is the Foodpreneur with Chelsea Ford podcast. Sally Gosper, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chelsea, for having me. Delighted to be here. You are the general manager of one of the coolest distributors going around, Two Providors. Uh, You're a wholesale food distributor that connects Australia's best artisans and producers with like-minded chefs and retailers. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the business? Sure. Well, I have been the general manager here, I just actually checked the date for just over five years, um, and I've been extremely fortunate actually to be at the forefront of the explosion of artisan food here in Australia. And as a business, we have, you know, really put a great deal of emphasis on um, Australian product and substituting where we have imported products, substituting fabulous world-class artisan products as they rise up to world standard. And over the past five years, there are very few categories left where we haven't been able to do that. I could count on my hands the number of categories that we now don't have a world-class Australian product. You know, if I may bring into the conversation that, you know, you're an art lover and I am too when we both got some experience, although mine is is pretty minor, um, for a love for all things artists, whether it's edible or not. But I think you, you're right, like with Two Providors and what you guys procure and curate, you really do have an edge on the latest and greatest and the best and the yummiest in mm-hmm. Australia. Is that is that something that's in the DNA of Two Providors or is it something that you you proactively chase like how does that come about in the business ah it's definitely not to chance I mean it was certainly a very strategic uh, decision to chase and actively promote and source and mentor artisan produce throughout Australia so I came from a prior business that was focused on artisan but a very strong focus on imports and I really felt that the time had come when Australian chefs were demanding actually Australian produce and there needed to be a distribution company who could foster that and find those things, who was nimble enough to be able to respond to the challenges that our chefs give us. 
um, on a day-to-day basis, I might add. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we're very fortunate that we're a family-owned business and we're able to respond very quickly to the market. And I think that does set us apart. We've got two wonderful owners here who will basically allow us within certain parameters. Um, to onboard brands very quickly. And I think, again, there's a point of difference from us. We do have quite an onboarding process. Um, but once you you feel that sort of relationship with our business partners and you know that their values are your values and that's intrinsically sort of what we're looking at the products, but then we're also looking to see if the brands, if there's some synergy there. Once we have that, um, you know, there's a lot of documentation and, and checklists that we go through. But once we have that, we can move pretty quickly if if we believe. And that's the main thing. We've got to be a believer in you and you've got to be a believer in us. It's a, it's a mutual trust um, that needs to occur. It's, it's, there's a big, big focus with the channel that you guys are real experts in um, focus on. And this is going to state the obvious, but it's actually different, I think, in other aspects. And that is taste and you know the origins and the history and the founder story i mean you guys really embody that with every sale i feel like you know you have high expectations in terms of who you'll bring on you know it's not just joe blog's next product really is it it's it has to have that story and that must it must live up to um all its promises in terms of absolutely um and it's got to be a a story for success so there's got to be a lot of different things along the way um you know we want to we really believe that we're here to connect you with your end user but at the end of the day we've got to help sometimes we've got to help you flesh those stories out we've got to help you sort of create those stories because most of our producers have got amazing stories but their strength is in production their strength is not in um sort of creating the stories and that that is you know one of the key things when you're looking for a distributor you have to find a partner and that's what we call it it is a partnership to help you create document and tell your product provenance story and and that um when you've got amazing producers that's quite easy it just takes a long time to sort of crafted into the right story for for our chefs. Do you think that you guys are moving or adding on retail distribution um, or in a big going into retail in a bigger way? Do you think it will be the same? If we were having this conversation in a year's time, do you think the conversation would be similar? I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, as I was saying to you earlier, I was down at um, Dark Mofo and dealing with all these creative beautiful creative um, people down there um, in the arts, in the visual arts, and it doesn't matter what you do, you've got to to craft that story. And whether we're selling to food service or retail, the brand is the same. You've got to have all those brand values in a story and be able to communicate those succinctly, particularly succinctly for retail um, because you sort of don't have the time to... Um, flesh that out with the end user, I suppose. So you've got to be very clear about um, sort of the key values of the product. Yeah, I um, I love that you talked about brand and brand values because 
I would say that the education that most producers need to go on or have is that their story is really valuable, but how do you craft it into that, into a brand because people buy into the brand and the brand story. I mean, yes, the taste is important, but it can be so much more, so much bigger than that and therefore enduring, I think, yeah. if you build a brand. Absolutely. And there's, um, you know, we spend a long time uh, making sure we get that right with each of our partners, I suppose. Um, And whether that's their, not only their brand story, but as part of their brand, their expectations, like managing expectations is one of the pillars um, of the business. And I think we're at Two Providers, we're a little different to most food distribution companies. I would always say that um, you know, when I came here, I didn't really know a lot about sort of mainstream food distribution. But what I did know was that it was this sort of gangster model where <laughs> you've got partners on either side and you try and screw the producers down to the lowest possible price and you try to, um, you know, you try and get the highest price you can from your customer. Whereas we say that it's a partnership here. We want our we want it to be sustainable on both sides. There's no point screwing your producer down if they're not going to be there in a year's time. So you you know when we're looking at pricing, we're always saying is that sustainable? You know, um, and and then we put a margin on there that enables us to operate, and then we charge a fair price to the customer. So we do look at it in. Um, quite a different way. Obviously, you know, we have owners where we need a return on investment, but we found that the best way to achieve that is to actually be open and honest and transparent and to set, um, I suppose, smaller margins possibly than a lot of the industry standards in the artisan space um, because you've got the uptick in sales as a response to that. And, you know, so far that's proven to be the case. Mm, I love that. You've coined that phrase, gangster model. It's, it's hilarious because it's it's hilarious because it's also so true, you know. There is yeah. no partnership in a lot of other distribution um, businesses uh, for sure, and I, I know that off the back of my 30 years dealing with distributors. You know, often it's just like my way or the highway, and that's I love the way you also talk about sustainability, and it's not from an eco-warrior perspective, although I'm sure there's elements of that too. It's about, well, there's no point in onboarding you as a brand if you're not going to be around in a year's time that's a waste of resources for everybody Hmm. no I couldn't agree more it's um I mean we have a whole it's one of our values is sustainability Mm. um we're encouraging the you know a sustainable supply chain um both economically and environmentally we you know we were having a meeting with the senior management team about this though and we sort of reduced our core values down to make them simpler, I suppose, so that everyone could understand them. And we were talking about our four key values of which sustainability is the fourth one. And although we're committed to it, we still really understand that it's a work in progress because um, there's so much happening with sustainability at the moment. Uh, We think we're good at the economic sustainability and we're trying to get better at the environmental sustainability. As a business, we we thought we, you know, we want to be at the forefront of it, but um, with COVID, I suppose, there's been a lot of developments in that space. And as we've been sort of working really, really hard to, you know, exercise discipline over the COVID period to make sure that 
all our producers stayed viable during that time, which was took an immense amount of work from the business. That was sort of one core value that slipped off and we're really trying to realign and bring that back into focus this year and in our three- to five-year plan. Just to be honest. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And it makes a whole lot of sense because at the end of the day, I think you've got to live, you've got to work to your strengths as well. And it would probably, I don't know, you know, you, I think it's so much more compelling when somebody doesn't kind of act as if they can do something when they can't, you know, or or when it's not an absolute priority. And, you know, you did help a lot of producers during COVID given the majority of your business at the time was food service. So I could appreciate that uh, sustainability may not have been, environmental sustainability may not have been at the forefront. It was just like ensuring yeah. that people had money in their pocket. Well, I mean, in from our, our, our local producer, producer's point of view, they're all fully committed to that. Um, you know, uh, so we we know that about them. We've got amazing producers, mm. Holy Goat, and you know, from both ends of the spectrum, you've got Holy Goat cheese in a small scale, um, sort of in the very pointy end of the food world, and then you've got Meredith, who are large scale, both of whom I would say are equally committed to incredible sustainability measures. Um, they just approach it in a different way, and it's interesting. Um, I don't, I you know that, and that's one of the one of our sort of core tasks is to make sure that whether you're a big or small producer, if you're committed to sustainability, we need to get the message out there. You know, just if somebody came to you and was successful being listed by two providors from a brand perspective, a brand owner, what do you and your, what, what does your team expect of them? to drive sales? Fundamentally, the, the two things that we really ask for are trust and transparency. You, we can't operate and be successful together without those two things. And from our side of the ledger, you know, I'm a real, I'm a total believer in providing um, all the information that we can to our producers because I think at the end of the day, what really helps the producer is to be connected to their customers. So we never shy away from telling our producers who their customers are. So we're not always an exclusive distributor. Um, so often we will share our brand with other distributors. And, you know, I, do, I tend to think that it, that exclusivity is somewhat of a poison chalice in itself. There's a lot of expectations when you're an exclusive distributor for someone you know, all, all I want to be is the preferred distributor generally because we think we do it better than anyone else. So, you know, I am put my hand on my heart and say, you, you know, we're going to provide this information to you. If we're not doing a good job, you should go for it. You should try and find someone else who does a better job. If you really, if you don't believe we're doing it for you, you know, go out and find someone else because, you know, I, I really believe and I, that's not to say that we haven't, you know, over the last few years had a lot of challenges in the business, but I still heart of hearts really believe that um, we do the best job out there. And what about marketing? I Do you expect uh, brand owners or require brand owners to invest a certain amount of money or to, you know, approach their marketing in a certain way? Um, or is it a case of, you choose them on the marketing to date that they have and just want them to continue what they're doing or is it quite prescriptive in how you want them to 
behave in terms of investment and um, yeah, marketing marketing activities. We'd we'd never um, reject a brand based on their sort of ability to market themselves because we don't honestly believe that that's their job. We honestly believe that that's our job. If they come with a marketing team or even a marketing manager, we're delighted. Um, mm. that, that, you know, we don't actually require that. That said, it is a benefit if you've got someone with an understanding um, of all the things that we require such as, you know, fact sheets and social media content um, and photo, you know, proper um, photography, that type of thing. I would say that photography is one of the things that is lacking the most, ironically. That's what I see in terms of brand owners, that they don't necessarily invest early enough in really, really great food photography. Do you say that? Do you see that too, Sally? Absolutely. Visual assets are something um, that people are getting better at. Um, Thank goodness for those small phones whose brand I won't manage. um, (laughs) But, um, But, you know, they have been instrumental in changing you know, how people view food because now it's quite easy to take a great photo even with the small phones. Um, so in that that being said, we, we are getting more and more um, uh, visual assets that we can use. It doesn't have to be expensive, you know, that's the thing we always say. It doesn't have to be expensive. It just has to tell your story and be good. But it is great. Um, in terms of marketing, You don't have to spend a lot of money. I always think that one of the things that we do ask you when you're a new brand onboarding is that you spend some time with the sales team. So we have eight key account managers in the business and we have a customer service team that is focused on, um, uh, you know, they're based here looking after any customer issues and eight on the road. So we've got about 16 in total on the team who are all completely, um, you know, ready to absorb your brand. And the one thing we do say is that you've got to sit in our boardroom for an hour and be videoed and tell the story of your brand. Then once we have that, then we craft the the Debbie, our fabulous marketing manager, crafts that into something fabulous and we have our fact sheet. We always have that video so people can go back um, and refer to it and then if there's someone new on staff and they want that information they can also go back to that video um, because learning from uh, hearing it from the horse's mouth is really the best way to hear it um, you always pick up little nuances that you you know otherwise would miss um, in a fact sheet I suppose. Mm, I love that hearing the founder say it in their words the producer in their words that's that's gorgeous as well as completely scalable. Great for training for everybody in the business. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I love to tell the story about one of our producers, Tim Malfroy, because he can stand on the edge of an uh, escarpment in the Blue Mountains and he can recognise every flowering gum tree now in, that he can see because he's lived in that environment all his life. Now that is something that won't be on the fact sheet but it's something that we readily talk about whenever he comes in here. We always talk about that because it's such a unique skill. So there are some things from watching the videos that you, you know, you just don't get and that's they're the kind of really strong images that people have in their mind 
about producers that, you know, that's why it's so vital to be just to have that hour, hour and a half session with the whole team, which is videoed. On top of that, I would also say that, um, you know, the brands that do really well here spend time in the market. And when I say spend time in the market, it's not going for set appointments with um, set customers. It's actually spending time with the key account managers. You've got four hours in the morning with one and four hours in the afternoon. You go on the road with them. You're telling your story maybe four times, but at the same time, the key account manager is also talking about other things to the customers. Um, and they've got to realise that um, with a lot of brands, we've got to fit you in and by you telling your story four times to the key account manager, then they can then easily retell that story. But certainly time on the road with one with as a principal partner um, on the road with the staff is vital to success in the business. Getting your products stocked is not easy. If it were, foodpreneurs would find pitching to buyers a breeze, but hardly anyone does. Without knowing what to say to a buyer, how will you ever get on the shelf so that consumers can pick up your product and put it in their basket? And you can put more money in your pocket for every product you sell. Sales and selling is the number one afterthought that frustrated foodpreneurs come to me about. After they've been in the market for a little while and realise sales and selling is crucial to their success, no sales equals no business. It's really that simple. Having a great tasting product is just the very first step because a tasty product alone won't pay the rent or the school fees, will it? So, do you want to know what to say in your sales pitch to wholesale buyers? Download my free pitch plan and learn what to prepare when readying yourself to pitch so you feel more confident to take your shot at landing more accounts more often. Click the link in the show notes to grab your copy today. You you don't sound like the typical distribution business at all. You know, really do have your producers um you know, you, you provide a lot of care. I was going to say put them on a pedestal. I'm sure that's not completely true, but I know that there's just immense respect for what they do. That's, you know, it definitely softens my heart and it's quite um, it's quite unique in an industry that's very cut and thrust. Well, I mean, we talk about our business partners on both sides. So we've got our producers on one side and our suppliers on the other and we have, sorry, our producers on one side and our customers on the other. And we have teams that look after both both of those. And that in itself is unusual. Um, you know, in fact, I would say that our purchasing team is, you know, is probably more important than our sales team because our purchasing team knows all those producers intimately. Um, and, you know, without them, the sales team have got nothing to sell. So it's really important. I mean, they're both really strong teams here. We're very fortunate. Um, and, but you know, it's an unusual model, let's just say. It 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 shocks me that it's an unusual model, but it's not it's not a normal model out there in the world of food service. It's definitely not a normal model whatsoever. I mean, I think it's um a model that has longevity because for the producer, because the the more invested they are in their product, which 
naturally they are, the more I imagine it will grow with a with a partner such as yourselves. But what about um, in terms of financial sustainability? You know, it's often um, misunderstood by producers how to account for distributor margins. Do you find that brand owners or producers come to you really without the knowledge on how they're going to margin share or carve up the, the dollar with your business and that you have to take them on an education? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we we do get a few. I mean, if people are, have thought it through succinctly, they've got to understand that there's a distributor margin in there that's going to look after the distribution. And we were just chatting to someone the other day and I said, well, do you really want to look after the debts? You know, are you sure you want to manage those debts? What you probably need to do is focus on what you're good at, which is selling things, let someone else look after the debt and the distribution, which they were not very good at. Um, and you will see naturally you you when you've got that clear space to just produce and not think about chasing money, who hasn't paid me, how am I going to get this product to, you know, this particular restaurant, when you've got that air, you can actually work far more efficiently and productively. Mm, I've heard people talk about you can either sell or make. You can't do both well at the same time. It's very rare that you can do both at the same time. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, I would argue that most producers don't get into the game of food production to sell, frankly. I've only met in my time, certainly, um, you know, the last seven years specifically working with the smaller end of town, there's really only been one who really loves selling. Like she's a gun at it. Um, she makes granola. But everybody else, the hundreds of thousands of others, they really do not want to sell. Yeah, it's a, it's a skill. Um and, you know, we've got a really broad team here and I've come from a sales background and I always say if I'm looking after you as the general manager, you're either at the top of your game or a real asshole. and sometimes both. You work it out. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that does limit the amount of people that I look after. <laughs> do they then scurry away? Well, no, normally if they're at the top of their game there and, you know, we're very fortunate actually that um, most people who are at the top of their game are naturally curious people and absolutely delightful and I'm really very fortunate with the with the chefs that I look after that, you know, they are those people, um, kind-hearted, generous, very curious um, because that's that's why they rise to the top because they ask questions, um, they don't demand unreasonable things. So you do go the extra mile for them. Mm. I just want to hark back to something you said earlier about you came from a business uh, five plus years ago where the majority of the products were imported. I think that was probably a reflection, possibly at the time, of how Australia felt about itself. But we've really come into our own, and you know, you clearly illustrate that. What do you think the future looks like for Australian produce? When you think about, we've been on the world stage probably for beer and wine and more recently milk and dairy products and supplements. You know, what is it that people are becoming more and more proud of or is it across all sorts of categories? And where do you think the the food service industry is going in Australia? Oh, it, I mean, it's a massive industry. It's food service here is about fifty billion dollars worth. I think when I last looked, and um, 
There's certainly some significant trends. I mean, um, sustainability, obviously, which we've discussed, um, people are really uh, focused on this, both locally and internationally. Um, I think uh, we have done a great, you know, we have caught up to the rest of the world. It used to be Mm. that we would own, like, when I first started in food 25 years ago, no one really, like, you really valued imported oil. Now we realise, or about 10 years ago, we realised, hey, actually, we've got amazing extra virgin olive oil being made right around the country. Why would we, you know, uh, why would we subject ourselves to all the um, transport extra costs, you know, particularly unsustainable product of an imported product when we've got a local product down the road that when you look at the, um, when you do the sensory evaluation and the organoleptic evaluation, it's as good, sometimes better than, and often better actually than what the imported product is because olive oil is one of those things, fresh, best when fresh. Um, so we're, you know, where the product here is amazing. Um, and I think it took Australians and the the public and chefs, you know, we really had to go into the room and mirrors and evaluate for a long time until we could feel proud of our local producers. And I think we absolutely, I certainly am, and all the chefs that I work with are totally invested in our local producers. Um, and and we have got world class products here, and and that's what we're aiming for. You know, we we're aiming to connect our customers with world-class producers. So we have an incredible stable of local products and we do have some imported products because we just, we're either not up to scale here or we can't produce it here. There's a few reasons. Um, there's a few categories that we we don't excel in yet, but um, we're getting there. Yeah, what the one that springs to my mind with regards to that, Sally, is fish and tin fish not fresh fish but tin fish we seem to on restaurant menus um bow at the altar of spanish tinned fish which i think is probably amazing but do we not have something that we can be proud of in this country in that category it's interesting we don't really we actually okay. don't. There are a couple of categories, and I wasn't going to name them, but that is actually one of them. <laughs> Sorry. We, no, no. Um, and we consider ourselves, we have a lot of anchovies here, so we have five different brands of anchovies. Mm. And the reason we do that is because we don't have a tinned anchovy locally that um, we can put forward. So um, we don't have that. We don't have caviar because it's not the right um, It's not the right. Uh, environment here for caviar production Mm. unless you wanted to do it inside and really ramp up your cost of goods and ruin the environment Mm. um you know we didn't have world-class chocolate here for a while and I'm glad that you know Messina have now come along and changed that that was something that happened a couple of years ago you know it takes ice cream or chocolate or do you mean both well they're, they're known for gelato but what most people wouldn't know about that brand is they're exactly what you want in a um in a producer they're mm. fully vertically integrated so you know they've got their own dairy they've got their own hazelnut farm um they've got their own uh they've now make their own chocolate so they're going from bean and they were basically doing everything up to the tempering process and i said to them please it'd be amazing if you could finish that process and we could sell that chocolate 
because I was a big believer in the fact that we needed to have an Australian-made coverture here in Australia. Mm. And they have incredible uh, evaluation skills. Like they have a whole creative department mm-hmm. that is dialed in to looking at the nuances day to day and making sure that their product is getting better, better and better. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so we're very fortunate to have, you know, to be able to um, make that come to life and to have that brand as part of our portfolio. That said. Most Australians would just know Gelato Messina for gelato and not really for chocolate. So, you know, that's that's on us. We've got to get that brand out there as, you know, one one of the world-class products that we have in this business. Yeah, I think most people have heard it here first. Wow, I feel like breaking, <laughs> it's breaking news. news. Yeah, and you, Messina um, as a business um, are, are so inspiring because they – and one of my nemesis is mediocrity and they are anything but like they take everything to the to the, to the most brilliant point you know to your point about they're vertically integrated with their dairy farms and their hazelnut and um farms etc and then of course they have a full um retail offering with their stores etc but they this i feel so proud that we do have mm. them on our shores because I mean- we can learn so much from them Absolutely, not to mention they're terrific um, people, uh, mm-hmm. unbelievable. You know, they even when they first started, they used to, and I, I think they may even still do it, they do all the shop fitting themselves. So, you know, they are absolutely hands-on when it comes to every little bit of their business and, you know, I think that's highly admirable and that's one of the reasons they've done so well is that at every point along the way they are trying to improve themselves and, you know, I wish... Yeah, we've got some great producers, but they are just very honed in on ensuring that at every possible point that they can make an improvement that they do. They didn't originate in the food industry, did they? Uh, no. Uh, well, some of them did and some of them didn't, but no, okay. not, not originally. So they're the kind of people that study hard and do the best with whatever they've, like they they learn, they go deep with their learning. They, they started with loving gelato let's say and it became an obsession (laughs) (laughs) so sally people listening to this are going to want to they'll be tempted to contact two providors which may be just just what you want but i suggest that perhaps we give them some guidelines in terms of who should approach who perhaps shouldn't and what they need to have at the ready sure well there's um we don't take on any new brands, just so everyone knows, in between October and January because that is our busy time of the year. Other than that, we, we do take on new brands, although at the moment we are absolutely at capacity waiting for our new where, our purpose-built warehouse to um, come to completion, which we're super excited about. It's four times as big as our current warehouse, um, allowing us really to make some deep inroads into um, food service around the country so excited for that but um you know there's always opportunity out there um certainly we start with the product so we always start with the products because it's got to reach a certain standard so you know reaching out to the purchasing department uh is the first point of call um and and they will then assess the, uh the product because what we try to do is not to have 
Well, we used to say we would only have one brand in each category. We've now moved out to sort of two brands in each category. And, <coughs> excuse me, and they'll do an initial brand and product assessment. And then they'll see, you know, make sure you've got all the right documentation, barcodes, you know, what are your minimum order quantities? How far are you away? Do you have unrealistic sales expectations? Like, do you think, like, we like to, we really like a slow build. We like to really undersell ourselves as a brand. And one of the things that we've we've tried really hard to do is to, most people think two providers is just one truck driving around. <laughs> That's <laughs> part of your brand look and feel, isn't it? That you have this artisan look, but it's actually, yeah. it's powered by something much more. It is, you know, all our, um, nearly 80% of our sales are online. We've got 16 trucks and other distribution networks that we use. We're a key business, so we're going in in the middle of the night, at midnight, putting fridge stock in the fridge, freezer stock in the freezer, dry goods on the bench. That's certainly an element of trust for our customers. When we first started dealing with restaurants, they were concerned about that, but they've got used to it and we, you know, we sign documents to make sure that it's all okay. And they're they're happy with that, but you know, it, it is a it is quite a, a large organization, I suppose. Even though we try to keep it small, um, but we'd like to not promise too much because the one thing we want to do is we want we want you to grow with us. So if you have expectations that you're going to do a million dollars in the first year, we will totally step away from you because. <laughs> Unless you're some absolute rock star product, product, and I'm yet to find one that can do a million dollars in the first year, we just know that it's not going to happen. And, um, you know, we really uh, try to temper expectations so that you can actually build the growth as a producer into your production as well um, because we have seen previously when people get really big and sometimes they fall over because... They, they've actually um, they've grown too fast and it was something that as a business we were very careful of ourselves. When you hit high growth um, points, it's sometimes you can lose sight of, you know, the important core values that you're working towards. Mm. And the systems don't necessarily support that growth, do they, in, in businesses that have high growth? You know, they're, they're behind the scenes stuck together with sticky tape because and and, it's, and they're very vulnerable. So I can understand it's such good advice. Yeah, and, I mean, we certainly saw, we saw that in COVID in our own business. We saw, although we kept it all together, um, you know, it had an, it had an impact on um, our team here and I suppose that's one of the... Um, one of our um, strategic goals is to, for the benefit of everyone, our business, our producers and our customers, is to make sure that we have a stable, highly engaged workforce. And, you know, we recognise that during after COVID we really needed to reassess that and, you know, make sure that we had an employee value proposition, make sure that we were, you know, offering a work-life balance you know, we've still got a way to go in all these things, but it's important for me and for the owners of the business that, you know, you recognise when things aren't quite where they should be and you you adopt change to modify the, your work practices. Mm -hmm. Thank you for trusting me to and sharing that with with my audience. I think that um, people all could relate to that and we... Definitely all learned a lot during COVID. So in terms of um, 
people getting in touch, it's definitely through procurement or purchasing and not October through to January because that's your busy period. Exactly. (laughs) Sally Gosper, General Manager of Two Providors, thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise today. It's been magnificent. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you found today's insights valuable and that you'll implement those in your food and drink business. I'd like to ask you now to help me help more foodpreneurs put more money in their pocket by giving me an honest rating. Five stars would be lovely, but that's up to you. Write a review and subscribe to this podcast on your platform of choice. The more you tell me what you like and the momentum builds for the Foodpreneur with Chelsea Ford podcast, the easier it will be for me to help you land more accounts, get more product in more consumers' hands, and put more money in your pocket. And together, we'll keep ensuring consumers have a choice of brands so they don't just stock big food products in their pantries, in their kids' lunchboxes, and at their celebrations. So thank you for taking a moment to do that.